0: Hello and welcome to the Biotech 2050 podcast. Biotech 2050 is a think tank chronicling the disruptions changing the life sciences industry over the next several decades. Check out our website at biotech2050.com. I'm Rahul Chaturvedi, today's host of Biotech 2050. I'm also the founder and CEO of Clora. Clora is a two-sided marketplace where we're organizing and providing access to worldwide life sciences expertise. I'm excited to welcome Nick Damiano, co-founder and CEO of Zenflow. Nick, appreciate you joining us. Great to be here. Thanks. Great. So just to start off, we'd love to just hear about your background and how you got to where you are today.
1: I started as a uh, sort of generalist engineer out of Stanford, got my bachelor's and master's there, did a lot of different kinds of engineering, biomedical, software, and uh, then also took a lot of entrepreneurship classes. I really was came from the East Coast. I was fascinated by, by Silicon Valley and wanted to get involved with it in some way. I initially started in different engineering jobs for startups. I worked for one in clean tech before getting into medical devices. Uh, the first few I worked for didn't go well. The companies started off looking great, then they failed, and eventually I decided I wanted to just go and do it myself after that. So started a company, my first company, in 2011 in the health IT space. Uh, it was called New Rep at the time, developing a telemedicine platform for medical device reps to support cases without having to be in the case. We saw that there was a, a need for that, that the medical device companies were spending lots of time and money getting into all these cases, and it could be done a lot more efficiently, which would streamline the way cases go and also save money for the device companies, which hopefully would pass on to the healthcare system. So I worked on that for a couple of years, eventually ended up stepping back from that. The company's still going. it's under a different name now, doing pretty well. Then uh, went back to Stanford after that, got interested in the biodesign fellowship and did that for a year as a fellow. Uh, looking basically at needs across different therapeutic areas, mostly focused in neurology, which was what they assigned as the the area for the year I was there. I teamed up with a few other people there, uh, one general surgeon, my eventual co-founder who was a FDA reviewer, and Mm -hmm. also a mechanical engineer, and someone else who had been a healthcare reimbursement consultant. So pretty interesting team with lots of different expertise. Uh, In my engineering days, I was mostly software. Once I got out of college, I was mostly focused Mm -hmm. in developing embedded systems for medical devices. So that was my best strength in terms of building products. We ended up finding something pretty interesting in the BPH space. We basically were in the um, Stanford clinics talking to lots of patients that came in, talking to the doctors, and almost every man who came in was having some kind of problem with his prostate, with just having to go to the bathroom all the time, waking up at night, just having a big quality of life issue with this. Mm-hmm. And we found that it was BPH or enlarged prostate that was causing those issues and that the The doctors were basically offering drugs or surgery, and the drugs didn't work well. Most men had already been taking them. The surgery was invasive. It had a lot of possible complications, pain, incontinence, long recovery, uh, sexual dysfunction, which can really be irreversible. Mm -hmm. And we wanted to offer something better. Mm. Uh, We saw some minimally invasive solutions coming out, but then decided that we could find a way to develop an even less invasive, really office-based device that would provide as good, if not better relief than the treatments that were being offered. And that's where Zenflow came from. So we came out of biodesign and I fortunately was able to convince my one teammate who had been the FDA reviewer and the mechanical engineer, uh, her name is Shreya Metta, who ended up being the co-founder and CTO. And the second half of 2014, we, we started the company.
0: And what's uh, Zenflow's approach to, to BBH?
1: So we have a device that, as I mentioned, it's deployed in the office. It's a little superelastic elastic uh, nitinol, which is a metal alloy coil. It's, it's a single wire device that basically takes a shape that it's preformed to in the prostatic urethra to hold it back and open up the blockage. So what's happening is the prostate grows and blocks off the flow of urine, and this just pushes it back gently out of the way. It's It's not going to be burning or cutting or anything else that patients find unpleasant. And it's deployed through basically a flexible scope, which is little more than a Foley catheter. It's mm. a flexible system where the urologist can just watch visually as the device goes in. And it's a pretty simple and, and easy procedure. Uh, we've now done just over 60 cases and it's looking promising.
0: That's great. And how large is, is the team at Zenflow now? And would love to understand you know, fundraising history and, and just the trajectory of the company.
1: Yeah, we're about 20 people full-time. Oh, great. We're all based here in South San Francisco in one office, which is nice. There's a move toward remote work now, but yeah. for MedDevice, you sort of have to be in there collaborating and building devices together. So as far as fundraising, that's always a challenge for medical device companies. We came out of biodesign with no funding. We were, as with my last startup, initially faced with the prospect of going without any pay for an indefinite period of time. Uh, We really just decided to cast the broadest net possible. So Shreya and I went to our networks as as broadly as possible and asked, what investors do you know? we went to the biodesign faculty and staff and asked them and everybody else we could find. We asked who who invests in this kind of stuff. We did think that one point in our favor is this device is for older men and among investors are pretty common. So that's one good thing. We, in the end, ended up getting our first funding from Y Combinator, which was really unexpected. We Throughout all these flyers, as I mentioned, and my last company had applied for YC. We got interviewed, but then didn't get in. And I at least had some experience with the intense interview process. So told Shreya that, okay, we're, there's almost no chance we'll get this. Let's go in. It's it's 10 minutes. It's rapid fire. Just try to answer things the best we can and get them excited. This is at least a big market. They're not going to go for it because it's a medical device and it takes forever and costs a lot and they don't know this space. Yeah. Um, but somehow they, they went for it and ended up being a, a great experience and good to to get some, some early funding. That was only two months after leaving Stanford. Um, after that, we got a lot of other investors committed, mostly angels, and were able to raise a, a small seed round at first, then bigger seed rounds, and then closed a uh, series A of uh, 31 million in the end of 2017. And that's been most of our funding to date.
0: That's great. And uh, what was that experience like going through YC? And, and particularly, if you know, since this was a new industry for YC, what was the value that they were able to add in the early days for you?
1: We went in pretty open-minded. We knew they didn't know the space at all. We, yeah. we had seen who all the partners were, and, and none of them had any background at all relevant to our space, yeah. and we understood that. We, we thought that med tech could be done a little bit differently. We thought that there were lessons to be learned from the tech world that med tech companies really had been slow to adopt. This industry is, in a lot of ways, a few decades behind mm-hmm. tech. So just wanted to learn about general company building, product building strategy, fundraising, things like that. And there were a lot of things that we learned that were pretty common between medtech and tech. A lot of the, just the thinking on faster timeframes is one thing where medtech, it's usually people get resigned to the fact it's going to take. 10 years to build a product to get it to market. And they just think on many months or years time frames, YC was really all about do things week to week, even day to day, just optimize as much as possible. So we, we learned to move a lot faster and just be more aggressive with our, our strategy. We learned to be more confident in fundraising. I think that's a problem that a lot of med tech people have is it comes off as not believing in themselves. You know, even though, there was nobody in our space. They gave great advice. They really listened and, and thought about our problems. They did have some sort of off-the-wall solutions. And a lot of them were never going to work, but it was was good to think about things differently. Since since we were in there, we've been involved in, in YC pretty actively. It's been great to see they have actually hired people that are knowledgeable in med tech and biotech. Yeah. And I think for companies that have gone through lately, it's been an even better experience.
0: And so if YC was able to provide... You know, company building strategies, fundraising strategies, et cetera. Where were you able to get those complementary pieces around You know, specifically med tech and how to develop a medical device? Did you have a scientific advisory board? How were, how were you getting some of that yeah. additional feedback?
1: So we, we came out of biodesign and right away realized we thought we had learned so much in that year of biodesign. And Shrey and I had both been in the industry a little bit before this. Yeah. We realized very fast how little we knew about how to build a med tech company from the ground up. We ended up bringing on someone who was eventually our chief operating officer uh, named Ron Jabba. And he really filled in the gaps on how to tactically execute. So Shreya and I had this idealistic vision of what we could be and he has the practical knowledge. He came in with knowing exactly how to build a company, how to build a product. And so that was a great third piece to our our team at the time and uh, really got us going early on and then we also, I think on the, the clinical side, we did build a scientific advisory board. We got a lot of the top urologists involved. We had built good relationships with the urologists at Stanford and they introduced us to a lot of the leading great. people in the field right away. And when you are coming out of university, I think it looks better than being a, a large company. And they were pretty eager to at least help us out. And yeah. a lot of those ended up being a clinical investigators for us yeah. or, and or scientific advisory board members. It was great to get those, those big names who would been involved in lots of trials and lots of different um, aspects of bph treatment from from early on in the company
0: let's say for the audience members that are thinking about going into an accelerator or incubator of some sort what advice would you provide them particularly around if they should pursue that path or not
1: generally say i'm a big fan of accelerators and incubators if you pick the the right ones yeah. they've got to be ones that can offer value to companies like yours In your vertical, and it's got to be a a high-quality group of founders, there's a lot of wannabes out there. Um, You've got to find the ones that really know what they're doing and can offer the right expertise and not take advantage of companies by offering next to nothing and taking 10% of the company. There are some that do that. Yeah. So we were part of Stanford Biodesign where we developed this, which is a great med tech community. We were part of YC. We also were in Stardex. Actually, my last company and this company were both in Stardex, which is a Stanford alumni accelerator, which is, I think, also really, really a great community. And then we eventually joined the Roseman Institute hmm. community in, uh, at UCSF. I think one of the things that I've realized is the most important things to have as an entrepreneur is this network of people that you can bounce things off of. Uh, These communities have been just unbelievably helpful for us in terms of connections. If you want to meet investors or if you're facing any kind of challenge, somebody in these groups has been through it already So we've leveraged them heavily and learned lots of things. We're able to shortcut lots of things that would have taken us a long time to figure out on our own by just pinging the the communities and getting their advice on things. It's a lonely experience in general to start a a startup. So having people that are going through the same thing is is just incredibly valuable Mm -hmm. for both help with things you're going through and just your mental well-being.
0: Coming into the medtech industry with now... somewhat fresh eyes, Um, what are the key, let's say, challenges or opportunities that you see for the MedTech community that we should try to embrace and and try to capitalize on?
1: Yeah. One thing that I think is something MedTech could do a lot better on is collaborating more between different companies and different people that have various types of expertise. So I noticed being in MedTech that things are really siloed, especially when I first got into the space maybe 15 years ago. Companies really like to hold things close to the vest. They don't like to share their information with other companies, or if you know if you're a consultant and you have certain expertise, you really want to keep all of your materials, all of your knowledge as confidential as possible. I think that's probably a, a game theory aspect to this you are better not to unilaterally share things when everybody else is keeping things confidential. Yeah. But as an industry, it really is keeping us down. And there's there's so much knowledge out there. And being in communities like StartX, YC, Biodesign, where information is readily shared, you see see what a big advantage it is. I think eventually there will be something similar to open source. I mean, there, there are limits to that for MedTech, yeah. but there will be something more like that where people are able to share information more broadly. And that will uh, reduce the time to market, the time to get certain things done for all of us eventually. I think MedTech sort of has to go there because it's, uh, it's a space that's, that's had a tough time over the last decade or so. And if we could all be more efficient, then we'd all be better for it.
0: Yeah. Switching gears a little bit to fundraising and particularly fundraising in, uh, with a MedTech company. Uh, what was that experience like for you and what were things that perhaps surprised you going through the process?
1: Definitely very challenging. I mean, you look back in retrospect and you look at people's press releases and you think that they just got money thrown at them left and right. But it really wasn't anywhere near that easy in our case. And I think in most cases, yeah. that's, that's how it is. We cast our net broadly early on. We really wanted to find every investor possible to fund the company. Uh, we ended up taking out of Y Combinator lots of tech type angels, yeah. uh, some crossover small VC funds. And then eventually, after we'd finished our first man study, we got enough interest from the larger VCs to get some of them in. Um, we had a lot of no's even at that point, even mm. though we had this market that really is a, a half billion men globally. There's not good solutions out there. We had something that could be less invasive, more effective. And we had shown that clinically and still we had a lot of VCs out there that were not really interested in funding anything early on. They just didn't think the returns were there. We were told that you'd spend fifty million dollars to build a company that was worth thirty million when you get to market. we didn't agree with that, of course. we thought we would spend less and be more valuable when we got there. We spent a lot of time finding the right investors that bought into our mission and believed in us. Uh, we really went out there and we I think our first our first big investor, we had a small new med tech VC that was very forward thinking, a lead our round. And even though they were they put in a smaller investment, they were able to go out and help us fundraise and close the rest of it and eventually got some other large VCs in. In the end, I learned I think we got lucky on the investors we ended up getting that they're they're actually really great to work with. Our our board functions really well. There were many investors we could have worked with that would have been a nightmare and I'm glad we didn't go ahead with those. Uh, I think it's it's really easy to do so when when money is scarce and yeah. somebody's offering you something. Overall, it was tough. We, we closed our A round with, I think, three days left of funding in the bank. We would have missed payroll after that. And uh, fortunately, our team was convinced enough we would do it that nobody as far as I know, look for jobs, nobody yeah. left, certainly. And uh, we were able to celebrate that together, overcoming this big adversity that, that kills many companies yeah. where you just can't raise funding. We barely scraped through, and I think people were, were more motivated on the other side of that once we had the funding and had crossed that milestone.
0: Going through the, the fundraising process, what were some lessons learned or advice that you would provide folks, both in terms of, you know, before you go into the fundraising process, what you should be ready to put up with, uh, but then also how do you select those right investors? What are some key indicators that you found that that helped you figure out, yes, I want to work with person X and not person Y?
1: Yeah, so there's definitely a process to it, the fundraising. There's a few tricks we used. A lot of this came from from StartX yeah. where you want to make sure you spend a lot of time what they call not fundraising where you build interest before you officially open your round and then you can start off not starting from zero where you you have a lot of interest you can probably close some deals or soft close some deals yeah. before you actually start officially fundraising that's that's helpful uh, you want you want to show the investors that you're making lots of progress that exciting things are happening I used a, a CRM tool to move our investors along the, the pipeline as we were running the process and set deadlines for when I would next follow up with each investor. And I was always trying to get more leads in the top of the funnel and would always make sure that I had an exciting update to share. We were trying to make lots of progress and not just get caught up in just fundraising. Yeah. We were doing lots of things here. And I every time I got back to an investor, I would say, okay, we've done this, this thing. We're, we're moving along fast. Make sure they know that Heard it described as the, the train leaving the station yeah. and they, they need to get on board now or, or else they yeah. won't be able to. I think you asked about also the types of investors.
0: Yeah, how, how to identify which ones are going to be a good fit for you and which ones might not be.
1: Yeah, I think I think a lot of it is that you are speaking the same language when you're, you're in there, that you you can share this you can show your vision and then they don't just shoot it down yeah. right away. We had so many VCs just parrot the same lines back at us that ended up being really wrong yeah. about our market. And we had a certain vision for where the market was gonna go. We we knew this was a big number of patients. We had talked to the patients, to hundreds of them. Yeah. We knew they wanted this kind of solution. And uh, a lot of these investors thought it would be a, a much smaller thing than than we did. There was there was a company that was about to exit before us that had a device that was just coming to market, that was somewhat of a minimally invasive solution. And we thought that even though there were drawbacks to that device, that, that they would exit for a huge amount and then grow, grow revenues just incredibly quickly. And nobody believed that. They were all thinking the exit would be sort of 300 million tops, and yeah. it ended up being I think I was saying 750 would be what it was. And they laughed me out of the room on a lot of occasions. Yeah. And they sold for over a billion dollars <laughs> a few months later. Yeah. Um, so people are telling you this market's not there or that you, you can't be this big company and you need to stick by your guns. And I think just not bother with the investors that are so far off from your vision that yeah. they're just never going to get there. So that's one thing we saw in our, what we ended up, who we ended up working with was that they, they believed we could be big and they were ready to put in the effort and the funds to, to
0: make that happen with us. If you were to go back to your younger self prior to, let's say, starting Zenflow or right when you were starting Zenflow, what advice would you give yourself?
1: It's hard to say. So I would tell myself, and I tell this to all the fellows coming out of biodesign now or medtech founders I meet through, through YC, that it's a lot harder than, than you think, it's gonna take a lot longer than you think. People always come in with these idealistic timelines and you really assume everything's gonna go perfectly for you and there's just so many things that when you meet with reality that it's, it's really a lot harder than you think. Uh, when devices meet the human body, for one thing, the human body is really unpredictable. If you have a different, a new kind of therapy that's never been tried before, you're gonna have some surprises and it's probably gonna lead you to some significant changes that are gonna take lots of time. The iteration cycles are not gonna be as fast as you think. There is this ecosystem of vendors and testing houses and regulatory bodies and all of that that are not set up to move on YC-like timeframes that are not really interested in moving that fast. Sometimes you can pay them to expedite things, but you can't pay the FDA to expedite. That's just, there's a lot of limits to it. And you know, for trials, for, for data coming back when you have a long-term device, you can't get a year of data in six months. It's just not not going to happen. So those things become reality. And I always compare it as somebody who likes running, to you. You think you're running a 5K race, and it ends up being a marathon. <laughs> and you've gone out at the 5K pace. You're you're going fast, and you realize you have a lot more miles to run than you thought. That's one thing I I guess I would tell myself, but I'm not sure if I if I would because the the aggressiveness I had early on. I'm I don't know if I. Would have wanted myself to start out at a slower pace and, yeah. and try to get ready for the, the long haul because that aggressiveness really helped us yeah. early.
0: Yeah, that's a great way to put it. I haven't heard that before. I've often heard the you know it's a it's a marathon, not a sprint. But I like the you know the, talking about you're basically trying to maintain that 5K pace for a sustained period of time, right? Uh, or at least try to. Great. Uh, well, Nick, this was uh, uh, this was a great conversation. Really enjoyed it. Thank you for your candor about the fundraising process and the challenges and and some of the opportunities that the the MedTech community faces. Yeah, thanks. Thank you for listening to this episode of Biotech 2050. This episode is hosted by me, Rahul Chaturvedi. It's edited and mixed by Megan Lovering. If you enjoyed this episode of Biotech 2050, please subscribe to our podcast and leave us a review. Also follow us on Twitter and Instagram at biotech2050pod. Again, that's biotech2050pod. Until next time.